Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Time for Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. You're listening to Sports Map Radio and the Believe Hour on this Friday evening. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V. Check us out on Believe.com. It's the best network for media professionals. We have podcasts for every sport, every team, every topic. You name it, we've got it over at Believe.com, so make sure you check us out. And make sure to check me out for behind-the-scenes footage of the show. Catch me on Instagram at Joe Sorallo and on Twitter at TheJoeSorallo. And we've got a hell of a show planned for you over the next hour. Former Seattle Seahawks All-Pro linebacker Lofa Tatupu is going to join me here. We are spending the full hour talking about the NFL draft here. We'll go over last night's round one. You know, it was a round one that a lot of people were complaining about, were not excited for, were saying this is, you know, one of the weaker draft classes in the past decade. And that's all because there is no standout quarterback in this year's draft but I think what we saw night one was a draft class flooded with talent there is so much to get to winners losers shocks trades they set a record for night one trades in the first round of this year's NFL draft and some prime talent still on the board here as round two has started simultaneously with this show I mean N'Kobe Dean he's a name you're going to hear throughout the next hour he's a guy who probably will be taken by the time that this show wraps up, to me, just you know, a top 20 talent who somehow still on the board after round one. David Ojabo, he left a red shirt his rookie year because of that torn ACL during his combine. But my goodness, he was going to be a top 20 pick prior to that injury. Didn't go the Jeffrey Simmons route where, you know, tore his ACL, of course, Simmons did. And then the Titans still took him, sat out his rookie year, and now he's a force. But Ojaba will be a round two name. So much talent. There could be four or five quarterbacks going here in round two as only one went in round one. So we'll get to all of that. I can't wait to hear what Lofa has to say, his initial round one reaction, what he's looking for round two, his Seahawks coming up 40th and 41st. So I know he's probably looking at the possibility of maybe a quarterback since they already got their stud All-American offensive tackle. A lot of fun stuff. The NFL draft is always one of the best times of the year. Stick with me, Joe Sorallo, on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. We'll get to a whole lot more over the next hour on Sports Map Radio. All right, back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. You're listening to the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio this Friday evening. All of your NFL draft coverage right here, right now on this show. And of course, for behind the scenes footage of the show, make sure you press that follow button on Instagram. Find me at Joe Sorallo on Twitter at the Joe Sorallo for all of my takes, whether you love them, hate them, or want to debate me on them. Let's talk about the winners from night one of the 2022 NFL Draft. Look, for those of you who follow me, follow my podcast, Sorallo Sports Talk, of course, you know I'm a New Yorker through and through. And New York won this draft. It was my Giants. It was the New York Jets. Five first-round picks going to the Big Apple. And football could not be in a better place than when both New York teams are exciting. Now, look, 
Both of these teams were drafting in the top 10 for a reason, right? They've both stunk for the better part of the past decade, at the very least the past half decade. But while, you know, the four or five guys selected in the first round are not going to instantly come in and make these teams Super Bowl contenders, they're making football exciting again in New York, and that is so huge. Look at the Giants, first of all. Kayvon Thibodeau with the fifth overall pick in the draft. A year ago, this guy, after the 2021 NFL draft, when the way too early mock drafts and prospect rankings come out, he was the first overall pick a year ago. Kayvon Thibodeau, I mean, they've been talking about him for two years as the first overall pick of his respective draft class. This is a guy who has talent, who has produced at Oregon, and for whatever reason, this year, some people were calling for him to slip as low as 8, 9, 10. I think he was taken at a great spot by the Giants at 5. Don't fully understand taking him at 5 as opposed to 7 when you knew Carolina was going O-line at 6, but it's a great pick. I'm stoked. I'm beyond excited to have him. And then Evan Neal. Talk about Thibodeau being, you know, a consensus first-round pick a year ago. Well, Evan Neal was the consensus first-round pick right up until the Jaguars franchise tagged Cam Robinson. If the Jaguars don't tag Cam Robinson, they're still looking for blindside protection for last year's first overall pick, their golden boy, Trevor Lawrence, and all of a sudden, instead of Trayvon Walker, you're probably looking at Evan Neal being the first overall pick. You go 2021 quarterback, 2022, protect his blindside, and that's how Doug Peterson's tenure with Jacksonville would start, but they tagged Cam Robinson. They went defense. In fact, everyone went defense. This was the first draft since 1991 where the first five players selected off the board were all on the defensive side of the ball. Even had two cornerbacks in there back-to-back at picks three and four. I won my big bet. Derek Stingley to be the third overall pick on draft day. That was down to plus 155 odds. I took it a week ago when the rumors first swirled in that Houston was in love with Stingley. Got that at plus 750 odds a week ago. Maybe, not counting a parlay, the biggest long shot singular bet I've ever hit in my life. But back to Thibodeau and Evan Neal. What this does is this sets the Giants up for success in three, four, and then because they're first-round picks and come with a fifth-year option, five years from now. Because the Giants' biggest question mark right now is undoubtedly at the quarterback position. They chose not to exercise the fifth-year option on Daniel Jones. So this coming season for the New York football Giants is a new regime, Brian Dayball, Joe Shane, they come in and they see what Daniel Jones does and decide if they want to franchise tag him, if they want to give him an extension, or if next year they want to move in a different direction. But what they're doing here, what they did in round one, is they're building from the inside out. You look at every successful Giants team in franchise history, and I mean, look, most successful football teams in NFL history, they win in the trenches. And the Giants' biggest issue, going back to after Super Bowl forty-six, going back to Eli Manning's final five, six years, as a New York Giant, their biggest issue has been the offensive line year in and year out. You sound like a broken record talking about the Giants every year at draft time because it's always, are they going to fix the offensive line? And with Evan Neal, all of a sudden, you've got two SEC mammoths bookending the O-line, Andrew Thomas at left tackle, Evan Neal, they've already announced, is going to come in and play right tackle. And then with Thibodeau, every successful Giants team 
has had a great D-line and a great O-line, especially on the D-line, emphasis on the D-line. I mean, look at the Giants' pass rush when they've won Super Bowls, right? Lawrence Taylor, Carl Banks, Leonard Marshall in the 80s, more recently, Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, Osiu Minora, Jason Pierre-Paul, the list goes on and on and on of pass rushers for the Giants to play winning, successful football. Yes, Brian Dayball's an offensive genius, but there's a reason they brought in Wink Martindale to be the D coordinator. They know they're going to have to get to the quarterback. And all of a sudden, Kayvon Thibodeau headlines a defensive line that now has Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, a first-round pick a couple of years ago. Last year's uh, second-round draft pick, Aziz Ojolari. He's got a lot of potential, a lot of speed off the edge opposite KT. And then with the protection on the offensive line, the Giants are setting themselves up whether or not Daniel Jones is the answer long-term at quarterback. They're setting themselves up for success from the inside out, starting in the trenches. That was why I didn't want the Giants going cornerback with one of those two picks unless you know Thibodeau was off the board and they really didn't like their other options because you have to, in my opinion, and history for the Giants will show, they have to win by starting by building from the inside out. Out. Now, if you look at the Jets, they had a hell of a draft too. In fact, I'd be inclined to, if I was ranking my winners, there are four teams I really thought won, I'd be inclined to put the Giants at two and the Jets atop the list. Do I love the Jets' top two picks more than the Giants? No, not at all. But the fact that the Jets got arguably three top 10, maybe three top 12 players in the first round, three is greater than two. That puts the Jets atop the list. Jermaine Johnson may be the best pick the Jets had all night at 26 because Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner, who I love, my favorite cornerback in the draft, one of my favorite players in the draft, loved him at Cincinnati. To me, taking him at four was a little high because the Jets have, in my opinion, too many question marks on the defensive line. I thought Thibodeau was the clear as day pick for the Jets at four once Houston passed on him. And then, of course, I think the offensive line could always get better. So, I have that trenches mentality. The Jets obviously didn't. They went outside for their top two picks, taking Gardner and then Garrett Wilson at 10. And I thought once they took Gardner at four, all right, 10th pick rolls around. That's where I thought Jermaine Johnson was going. I thought he was going to the Jets at 10, not 16 picks later at 26. Because in my opinion, your defensive backs are only as good as your pass rush. Yes, every now and then you get exceptions. You get Hall of Fame caliber cornerbacks, safeties, But at the end of the day, a great pass rush can make a mediocre uh, defensive back look a lot better than a great defensive back can make a mediocre pass rush look. So I thought the Jets were going to, they took Gardner, now give him some help, get Johnson in there, a guy who can put insane pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And all of a sudden, that Jets defense, you're looking like you're building Robert Salah, is building back towards the years when Rex Ryan was leading this team and their defense was the most feared in football. But they went Gardner, they went Wilson, they want that Wilson to Wilson magic. I get it. They still had a huge question mark on the D-line. And so I wasn't as in love with their draft until the 26th pick rolled around and they took Jermaine Johnson, who... I don't know what was going on in these war rooms. I don't know what GMs, what coaches were afraid of. Was it the fact that he started off as a JUCO guy? Was it the fact that he transferred away from Georgia, who set a record with five first-round picks on the defensive side of the ball alone? That's never happened before. I don't know what the problem was with Jermaine Johnson, but when I look at this guy, 
First off, I love his personality. I think he's going to thrive in New York, just like I think Kayvon Thibodeau is going to thrive in New York. But I see a dog, a guy who wins one-on-one matchups, who's got a crazy combination of athleticism and then also fundamental football moves. To me, it's like Trayvon Walker meets Aiden Hutchison at his peak. Now, I think Aiden Hutchinson should have been the first overall pick. That's where I stand. That's where I've stood on this one. But I think Jermaine Johnson at his peak has Hutchinson's football soundness combined with Walker's raw athleticism. I'll tell you this much. I would have gone Hutchinson with the first overall pick, but Jermaine Johnson was higher on my big board than the first overall pick, than Trayvon Walker. So for him to slide to 26, that's what puts the Jets ultimately atop the winner's list, in my opinion. A couple other winners I'll get to in the next segment, the Baltimore Ravens, the New Orleans Saints, and a big loser named the Green Bay Packers. Stick with me, Joe Serralo. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk on Sports Map Radio. Back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. We've got Lofa Tatupu coming up next, former All-Pro linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks. He's going to talk about the craziness he saw round one, what he thinks his Seahawks should do round two, and a whole lot more. Just a reminder, one last time for behind-the-scenes footage of the show, make sure you head over to Instagram, at Joe Serralo, press that follow button, do the same on Twitter, at the Joe Serralo, as I take you through the Believe Hour here on Sports Map Radio. Got to a couple winners, my two biggest winners of the first round of the NFL Draft, the New York Jets, and of course, my New York Giants. Two other big winners I want to touch on, and we have to start with the situation in Baltimore. The Baltimore Ravens, to me, this is one of the most unique, quote-unquote, draft winners I've ever seen because if you look at the two Ravens picks, I think that they were phenomenal. You know, these are two guys, obviously it's ridiculously early to be saying this, but just looking at what they did in college, these are two guys who it would not shock me to see either one of them eventually become Hall of Famers. Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame, he plummeted down draft boards. In fact, both him and Linderbaum were low on draft boards because of the positions they play, safety and center respectively, but Hamilton specifically plummeted because he ran a slow 40 at the Combine. I don't care what the hell his combine time was. You heard Mike Golick Jr. on these airwaves with me a week ago. You heard what Gojo said about Hamilton. Watch him play. Watch the game film. How does his game speed look to you? I don't care about his straight line 40-yard dash speed. John Ross ran a 4-2 and, you know, on paper, he should have been Tyreek Hill, right? But he's not. And Kyle Hamilton... On paper, 4-7, maybe that's a red flag to some. I saw the film, I watched Notre Dame play, and I watched them play top-level caliber opponents. Kyle Hamilton was always, didn't matter who the opponent was, always standing out on film, was always wreaking havoc in that defensive backfield. I think, especially with John Harbaugh out in Baltimore, he is going to be a superstar. And I think that Taylor Linderbaum, similarly, is just rock-solid has Pro Bowl, All-Pro Center written all over him, in my opinion. And you look at centers taken in the first round, of course, it is a rarity. But since 2000, pretty big sample size, even though it doesn't happen every single year, we're talking 22 years now, centers have had a 100% success rate when taken in the first round. Now, what does that mean, 100% success rate? It means that they have had a contract renewal with the team who drafted them, at least one renewed contract. So Baltimore taking Linderbaum, I mean, you know, certainly where he was picked at what, 25th, that is 
by all means an appropriate spot to take the first center off the board. But the value there for a guy who history has said over the past 20 years, he's not going to just be with Baltimore four or five years. He's probably going to be with the Ravens seven, eight years at least. I'd say it's a pretty damn good investment by Eric DaCosta and Baltimore there at 25. Now, what makes this situation so unique to me, because it's easy to just look at the picks themselves and say Baltimore's a winner, incredible picks, both of them great value, great spots, great athletes, yada, yada, yada. What makes this situation so unique is what they gave up to get that second pick because they sent their top wideout to Arizona, Hollywood Brown, to get that pick in the 20s, which of course was the 23rd pick. They traded down with Buffalo two spots to 25 where they took Linderbaum. Who the hell is Lamar Jackson going to throw the ball to? I mean, yes, we all know Lamar Jackson's favorite target has always been tight end Mark Andrews, right? That's his quote-unquote wide receiver one, his tight end. But after Andrews, who is Lamar Jackson going to throw to? And I think I'm not crazy for asking that question because you look at last night, Lamar Jackson's reaction to this, he retweeted a Ravens fan who tweeted, quote, what the F and F, bro? That, that was what Lamar Jackson retweeted, and then he himself tweeted WTF. So Lamar Jackson, obviously I'm not the only one wondering WTF the Ravens are doing by trading away Hollywood Brown, their number one receiver. Now look, they've got Rashad Bateman, who I happen to love. I thought he was a great pick a year ago coming out of Minnesota, but he's not a wide receiver one yet. He only caught for, what, 500 yards a season ago, but... You know, you can sit here and have the Bateman debate. At the end of the day, I think he's talented and I think he has loads of potential. It's the fact that there's quite literally nothing after him on the depth chart. Devin Duvernay is the next man up on Baltimore's depth chart. And he had 272 receiving yards last year. That is not exactly number two receiver. Even if you want to count Mark Andrews, the tight end, fine. Well, that's not exactly number three wide receiver production either. So Baltimore has a ton of question marks on offense. Yes, they helped their offensive line big time. Yes, that defensive secondary, which was battered by injuries last year, they got a big boost in Kyle Hamilton. But at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson is your biggest investment. He is your star player. He's who you're building your team around. And he has no one to throw the ball to. So while I love the actual picks from Baltimore's draft this year, I still don't know if the Ravens, can compete with the Bengals atop the AFC North. I don't know if the Ravens are going to be better than the Browns when Deshaun Watson starts playing, or if they'll be able to score on the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense. A lot of question marks in Baltimore, but for the two picks they had, I think they struck gold on both of them. Another big winner, final winner I'll get on before my loser, big winner, New Orleans Saints. They had two picks, they did the job, right? You've got your quarterback in Jameis Winston, and this is not a quarterback heavy draft class heavy in numbers not so much in talent and so when I don't think Malik Willis is going to come in and be better than Winston day one I don't think Kenny Pickett would have come in and been better than Winston day one or Desmond Ritter or Matt Corral definitely not Sam Howell the Saints needed to give Jameis Winston their current quarterback their current best option under center they needed to give him a weapon and protection and they did that They traded up. You know, when they moved up, a lot of people are going, is this Malik Willis? Is this the move up to take the first quarterback? And I'm thinking the whole time, no, the wide receiver dominoes have fallen. Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Saints, I thought were moving up to get Jamison Williams out of Alabama. They got, in my opinion, the next best thing, Chris Olave out of Ohio State. 
You know, it's funny. My top two wideouts were actually Jamison Williams and Chris Olave, not London and Garrett Wilson. So I think that the Saints struck gold here. You know, Michael Thomas is not a burner. He's not a deep ball guy. He's a possession wideout who doesn't drop balls. And Jameis Winston specializes in going deep. So he's got his, you know, Hall of Fame bound possession wideout, Michael Thomas. And now he's got his deep threat in Chris Olave. I think it was the perfect schematic fit for Dennis Allen and the Saints. And then, of course, with the 19th pick, they protect Winston. Now, look, Trevor Penning is not by any means a finished product. And there's question marks. The Saints need a left tackle. I don't know if Penning can play left tackle at this level. But whether it's right tackle or whether it's left guard, I think he can do a good job at whatever his best fit is in the NFL. You heard Mel Kuyper talk about it. Needs to cut down the penalties. I think it's a tough jump anytime you're going FCS to the NFL. But, you know, guys have done it before, right? Carson Wentz went FCS to the NFL, you know, was having an MVP season in year two. And obviously he was injured for the postseason run, but his team went on to win the Super Bowl. So I I wouldn't buy too heavy into the Northern Iowa thing. A lot of big boys out there in the Midwest. Doesn't matter if you're playing at Bama, Georgia, North Dakota State, Northern Iowa. They've got those big country strong farm boys out there. And that's what Trevor Penning is. I think he'll be okay in New Orleans. It's just a matter of, I don't know if he can thrive at left tackle or if he'll have to find a different spot on the offensive line. But the Saints, to me, round one alone, they're my fourth winner. Look, anytime you have multiple picks in round one, you're probably going to be a winner. Notice my four winners all had two or three picks, and I think the Saints just did exactly what they needed to do with those picks. A team that had multiple picks that didn't do what they needed to do is the Green Bay Packers. I don't know what the hell the Green Bay Packers are doing. They have drafted zero running backs, wide receivers, or tight ends with a first-round pick since 2002. I don't know how you justify that when you have one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history on your team. I mean, two of the best quarterbacks in NFL history for the past 30 years. But Aaron Rodgers alone, drafted in 2005, they have never once, since Aaron Rodgers has been there, taken a skill position on offense with their first round pick this year had to be the year right they trade Devontae Adams to Vegas they get two first round picks surely one of them is going to be a wide receiver one of them has to be but no no they take an inside linebacker when they just had an all pro inside linebacker in Devondre Campbell and I understand they run a 3-4 but they just had an all pro inside linebacker and then they take a defensive tackle Devontae Wyatt I can't think of a position that you can find value and talent later on in the draft, more so at than defensive tackle. I mean, forget the draft. You can go undrafted and find, maybe not to his caliber, but a guy like Damon Harrison, a guy who can't play three downs, who will take up space. Devontae Wyatt is not a three-down player. You used a first-round pick on a guy who does not play three downs on defense instead of giving your Hall of Fame quarterback who has only appeared to and been in and won one Super Bowl instead of giving him a weapon. And it's not like there were no weapons. Obviously, the cards fell poorly when it came to wide receivers for Green Bay. Picks 8 to 12, four wideouts were off the board there with London, Wilson, Olave, Williams. It, It did not go the way the Packers had hoped, that's for sure. But Christian Watson out of North Dakota State was still on the board. Sky Moore out of Western Michigan was still on the board. George Pickens out of Georgia still on the board. And instead, the Packers just go defense. You know, their defense played well 
against San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. It was a low-scoring game. They didn't score any damn points. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what Brian Gutekunst is doing. Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee draft spectacular while the first round was going on and said, we definitely have to address the wide receiver position. I guess Gutekunst wasn't watching his star quarterback during the draft because Green Bay did not address the wide receiver position. There's no excusing it. There's no justifying it. Look, I don't love Aaron Rodgers. That's been well documented in the past. I blame him for a lot of their postseason failure. But at the end of the day, you just traded away Devontae Adams. You're not going to replace him necessarily, but you've got to try. You've got to give Aaron Rodgers a weapon. The Packers failed to do so. That's why they're my big losers so far. When we come back on Serralo Sports Talk, my man Lofa Tatupu joins the show. Stick with me, Joe Serralo, right here on Sports Map Radio. We're back here on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. And joining me now, it's one of my favorite guests, former second round draft pick, former all pro Seattle Seahawk, my man Lofa Tatupu. Lofa, thanks so much for joining the show. Joe C, always, brother. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. You know, we've got a lot to get to. Round one reactions from this year's NFL draft. We'll look ahead to round two a little bit, focus on your Seattle Seahawks, of course. But right off the bat, man, it was a crazy round one, one of the craziest draft nights I can remember. What is your initial reaction to everything we just witnessed? My initial reaction is I don't even remember what I just watched. That's I mean, <laughs> how many how many trades, you know, happened. I think it set a record, you know, since the new format uh, for first round trades. So, uh, but interesting, right, to see where these organizations and, and their GMs and, and, and coaches are, are taking this game as to how much they value or don't, you know, uh, draft prospects and then, you know, versus free agency. So that's, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of crazy, a new age. Yeah, I mean, you know, to your point right there with prospects versus already proven guys, you the Eagles a couple of weeks ago had three first round picks, three top 20 picks. Then of course they made the trade with New Orleans. And then tonight they end up with one pick in the draft, but they got A.J. Brown, gave him that multi, multi-million dollar extension. Yeah, and I mean, that's, uh, you know, you take a proven commodity over, uh, you know, uh, the Titans going for the, the younger version, so to speak, or a new guy in Traylon Burks, who I think is really probably one of the best prospects in this draft. And, uh, you know, so I know they're excited about that. I know they don't like getting, you know, losing A.J., uh, but – it's just, like I said, it's kind of trending uh, in that direction for do you want the guys that are ready to play now? And are you willing to roll the dice on these, you know, these first rounders and expect them to fill the shoes of an A.J. Brown? So we'll see. Uh, it's, it's a tall order, but definitely I think Trey, uh, Traylon Burks is, is, is a special football player. Yeah, I think he's got potential. It's just with Tennessee, you're dealing with Derrick Henry, who gets hit more and more every year. Ryan Tannehill's not getting any younger. And it's like, do you have time for a project or, you know, should you have paid the already proven guy? Well, you know, I mean, there's, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, uh, similarities to Debo Samuels. Now it's high praise, right? Very, in, in, very. Ter- in terms, in terms of what we're talking about with, with what they have with trailing, but you know, six two, two thirty, and uh, you know, he could do a lot of things. And so I'm wondering if they do, you just mentioned Henry gets hit a lot. If they take a little off of his shoulders, no pun intended, and let, you know, this new kid gets some carries uh, here and there because uh, we're, you know, we're seeing Tyreek Hill, um, you know, Debo. There's a lot of these specialty players. Taysom Hill even, I'll, I'll go that far. You know, like guys that can do more than one thing. And then it, it's hard to prepare as a defense when you have 
you know, them playing multiple uh, positions because you don't know what personnel is coming out there. Is it Taysom Hill, the quarterback, or the tight end, H-back? You know, so it's it gives a lot, you know, uh, the defense a lot to think about and, and to defend. Well, you know, you mentioned Debo, so I kind of want to take it in that direction. Obviously, I'm sure you love the turmoil that the Niners are in as a Seahawk yourself. <laughs> but, you know, I'm looking at my list of winners and losers, which I want to get into with you as well. And the 49ers, who obviously didn't have a pick tonight, I have them down as a loser because Debo's made it clear he's not coming back. And to not somehow parlay that into, you know, a first round pick this year, it seems disappointing. What are your thoughts there? No, I completely agree because if he really is, you know, putting his foot in the ground and saying, yo, it's over, I want out, um, you know, an organization, they don't, they don't want to stay with a, a player that's not happy there, right? You know, mm -hmm. and I think they could have got a lot for him, you know, especially right now. Now you're going to have to look at mid-round picks and then of a future number one, which it doesn't do anything, you know, to get any closer to that, that big game, which they've been knocking on that door. They were, you know, a couple plays away from going back to the Super Bowl, um, you know, even just getting to the championship game. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, you know, I don't want to call them a loser, but they're not a winner. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Hey, let's, let's take it from the top of, of this first round. Pick number one. To me, Jacksonville, you know, there's a reason that they're constantly finding themselves drafting first overall. To me, it's a huge mistake. I mean, I'm not saying Trayvon Walker is not a top 10 talent, that he can't be great, but Aiden Hutchinson just seemed, you know, like a sure thing to, to bring it back to the 49ers. Seems like Nick Bosa, you know, like a proven commodity, a guy you know you're going to draft him right away, plug and play. And to have him opposite Josh Allen, now that seems scary. Trayvon Walker... You know, even if he's great, he's going to be a project. How did you feel about that first pick by Jacksonville? No, I agree. It's um, kind of a head scratcher. It's, uh, you know, you got Hutchinson there. To go one further, I'll go Thibodeau, who's put up, you know, since he's got to campus, uh, he came in highly touted, like one of the top prospects in the nation, and uh, went, went out there at Oregon. I think he had six or seven sacks as a freshman. And so you're, that's where even as much as I love Hutch, uh, you know, Thibodeau's done it year in and year out and you know and Hutch just had that one spectacular year of 14 14 and a half sacks it was a great year don't get me wrong and I think you see what you're in store for but um you know Thibodeau just seemed the most proven to me and I think that's the only concern that a lot of people are having with Walker okay now you can make all the excuses you want because they did on you know on the tv that like why well you know Devontae Wyatt Jordan Davis the Kobe Dean and all these you know phenomenal players around him it's hard to make plays right well you know, you still just didn't see, like Lewis Riddick said, you didn't see any just one-on-one -on -one blocks being just destroyed, which that should happen. If it's the first overall pick, uh, I think, what is like seven or eight sacks for his career or nine sacks for his career, that's that's really rolling the dice. And uh, I just, even if nobody wanted that number one pick, you know, I think they, uh, they, they leaked it a couple of weeks ago that, oh, you know, no one's interested or called about that number one pick. It's still very confusing as to, I mean, I'm trying to package that up and, and move back several spots, even outside of the top 10 if I have to, because um, – but I did think they, they did save themselves in, um, in terms of Jack Wars when they came back in later and, uh, and they got Devin Lloyd, man. I think he's a really special player. really like watching him play at Utah. Yeah, you know, I thought it was a great pick. It's funny. I actually thought N'Kobe Dean would have gone there. Trayvon Walker's old teammate with Georgia. Same position, inside backer. Two guys who, you know, both hard hitters, both cover a lot of territory. Couldn't go wrong, in my opinion, but I think Lloyd was a great pick. I thought he was going to go 21 to New England before they were one of the, 
you know, 28 oh, teams yeah. that traded and, and decided to move back and take the kid out of Chattanooga. Uh, again, you know, go figure I, that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, but you know what? They, they've hit, they've hit uh, an offensive lineman, man. So and I'm, I'm not going to question them there, you know, because not, now if they went receiver again and not, and not hit, then, then I think everybody would have been like, wait, what's going on? But uh, yeah, they've done a, a fine job, you know, not only finding talent uh, in the first round on offensive line, but also developing it. Yeah, a lot of people point to Logan Mankins, the second round pick out of Fresno State, who not many had heard of and obviously hell of a career with the Patriots. You know, you mentioned Kayvon Thibodeau and I'm over the moon. I'm ecstatic. He's on my Giants. I have the Giants <laughs> as a big winner. Thibodeau, Evan Neal, two guys who, you know, both in the past year have been talked about as the first overall pick. Giants get him at five and seven. Who's your big winner of the first round so far? Yeah, it's hard not to to win when you have more than one pick in the first round, and <laughs> yeah. and so I thought I thought both New York teams did a great job. Uh, I got to give the tilt though to to your uh, uh, the Jets, you know, the counterpart over there. Um, I thought you know especially climbing back in after you know they got Sauce and then um, who was their their other pick? Um, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. Yes, the receiver. You know, to get weapons for for uh, their quarterback. But then to creep back in at the very end and get Jermaine Johnson, which, okay, Georgia had five guys, which is a record, you know, from that defense go in the first round. You know, Jermaine Johnson was on that defense just a year ago, and he transferred out. He goes to the ACC, 12 and a half sacks, player of the year. Um, You know, so it's incredible how much talent Georgia had. But, but yeah, to, to get him, I think he was at 26 or 27 when they got back in. I, I think, yeah, again, when you have that many picks, it's hard to lose. But uh, both New York teams did, did a great job in this draft, in my opinion, so far. I get, even if they get nothing else, I think they're, they're pretty well set. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. They can, they can miss on every pick the rest of the way, and they both had a hell of a draft. Now, it's funny, you mentioned Johnson and him being on Georgia. When you talked about Trayvon Walker and, and you know not really seeing the one-on-one explosiveness and winning the matchups, to me, it's like Jermaine Johnson at the 26th pick he showed you everything that you want from a first pick. It's, I mean, especially production, man. It's, mm-hmm. you know, barring a position change, you know, I heard, like I said, I heard them say, oh, well, he was playing all over the place. He didn't have a true home. Well, if you're that versatile, I mean, you should be showing up regardless on that stat sheet. And it just didn't happen. Look, I love, I love him. Like, you know, six, five, two seventy, ran a four, five, Oh, like that's yeah. insane. And, um, and I think, you know, with, the right you know position uh, but see now playing outside the whole time I don't know if he's that guy outside to win the one-on-one matches consistently but Jermaine Johnson's shown to be that guy just like you're saying so um yeah again it, it's uh it's crazy but yeah the, the value that the Jets just got creeping back in and, and getting a guy that, that put a double digit sack has been saying yeah it's wild the Jets were rumored to take Johnson at 10 and they ended up getting him at 26 anytime you can do that it's a great draft man Let's bring it to your Seattle Seahawks, ninth pick overall. And for the first time since I can remember, first off, this is a team that, you know, is no stranger to not having a first round pick, but the Seahawks did the predictable, smart thing. They got Charles Cross. What was your reaction to that pick? Yeah, I mean, you, you knew we were going to go online, whether it was him uh, or Neil. I think we're the ones that were, you know, uh, most likely to be taken. Um, or, you know, possibly corner if Stingley or – uh, sauce were sitting there I think they would have you know grabbed him but uh, yeah excited about this guy uh, we need O-line I, I think 
you know, we could still probably use some more uh, up front uh, for, for Drew Locke and, and Geno Smith, whoever the quarterback might be, you know, coming out of this, this uh, competition. But um, I, the only concern is I saw him dropping back a lot, you know, in that air raid offense of Mississippi. I think it was Mike Leach, right? I, yeah. there, there was a lot of pass blocking, which is great. But Pete and John, they want to run the ball. And so, um, you know, I think from the highlights that I saw, he looked good. It looked like maybe a little bit of a speed rush might give him trouble, but you're not going to overpower him. He looks, you know, stout in the run game and he's got solid balance, good feet. So I'm excited to see what he does. And um, I think it was, it was what we needed. Well, you know, it's definitely Cross's MO is he's a pass blocker. His, his run blocking definitely needs a lot of improvement. So, you know, maybe early on in his career, it's time to let it loose to whoever he's throwing it to. I mean, because, you know, we talked about Debo, who knows about DK, if he's going to be back with the Seahawks, or maybe he gets moved tomorrow over the weekend. We'll see. Let's talk about the second round picks that Seattle has. They're going back to back. I'm looking at it right now. Picks 40 and 41. Only one quarterback went off the board night one. Lofa, do you see potential for the Seahawks to maybe trade up in round two, get Malik Willis, or sit back and wait for a Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral at 40-41? I think, yeah, eight picks. I don't think all three of them are going before uh, 40 or 41 happens. And you got back-to-back picks there. Uh, Yeah, okay, if the first two picks are quarterbacks, then maybe they consider (laughs) – yeah, you know, uh, trading up to 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 get one of uh, the quarterbacks that's uh, remaining, one of the three. But um, no, I think they'll be happy with you know because there's not. I just still don't see you know a clear cut leader. Uh, I thought Pickett was probably the most ready, and I mean, according to the draft, it looks like that's what a lot of uh, teams agreed to him being the only quarterback taken. So, um, you know, I, I say you let one fall to you. Um, you know, still a lot of good players, you know, especially this draft's a lot deeper at all positions because uh, because of the COVID year, you know. So um, I think there's going to be still some quality guys, you know, left in that third, fourth, even fifth round uh, because of that, that overlap and people often stay in for next year. Yeah, you mentioned the COVID year. I'm pretty sure Kenny Pickett's closer to your age than he is to mine, Lofa. So he, he's <laughs> stepping in. I mean, he's already like, you know, I'm pretty sure he was in high school when Big Ben got drafted. Yeah, from from Big Ben to Skinny Ken. Here we go. (laughs) There we go. I love it. Lofa, thanks so much for the time, man. Best of luck to your Seahawks. Always great catching up. All right, my man. Take care, Joe. We'll be back with my final word on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk right after this. All right, it's time for my final word here on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, as we conclude the Believe Hour here on SportsMap Radio What an incredible spot there with my man Lofa Tatupu, the former All-Pro Seahawk, talking all things NFL Draft Night 1. Hopefully, the Seahawks do right by him, take a cornerback, maybe take their future quarterback tonight in Round 2. Their pick should be coming up. You know, we've spent this entire show, and rightfully so, on the NFL Draft. But the NBA playoffs are still in full swing. And look, when I'm back on next week, that show I'm sure will be mainly devoted to the NBA playoffs But we've got to get to a little basketball here. There is one game, and it tips off in about an hour. The Memphis Grizzlies looking to close things out at the Minnesota Timberwolves after John Morant went otherworldly and led the way in that comeback in Game 5. Memphis is in the driver's seat up 3-2. And I want to follow suit with something that I did last week. Last week, for my final word, I switched things up a bit, and I gave out a best bet for last Friday night's Phoenix Suns-New Orleans Pelicans game. It was Jay Crowder 
over nine and a half points in case you've forgotten Devin Booker's absence. Crowder scored 10. I cashed that in. So I'm giving out another bet for tonight's Grizzlies game. In fact, I'll give out two because I'm feeling generous. First, I'm going with a prop. I'm going with John Morant under 27 and a half points. Look, Morant has all the momentum in the world. He was the catalyst. He was instrumental in game five and that comeback at home. But in four games this season at Minnesota, he has, that's two regular season, two postseason. He has not eclipsed the 20 point mark. He has scored in the teens three times. Actually, I think in one of those games he had 11, so not technically the teens. And then he has scored 20 once. He has not eclipsed 20, so I think 27.5 is way too high. He's done a lot of other great things, rebounding, getting teammates involved. I think he's going to go for double-digit assists in this one, but under 27.5 points. My second bet, I'm going the Grizzlies, minus one. They're going to win the game. I think they're going to end the series, even though I don't think we're going to see game five. John Morant out there, I think, like I said, his teammates, Brennan Clark, Triple J, Desmond Bain, all get involved, all in a very big way, and I think the Grizzlies put the series to bed, they win, they cover, and Memphis moves on, and then we can move on to round two, the Bucks and Celtics on Sunday. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up, it's over, it's out of here. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to this edition of the Believe Hour on SportsMap Radio. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.